Hello, Sniper. What's up? This uh, Welcome to our final show before the big the big meets open up. <laughs> Got Saratoga on Thursday. Cards out. PPs are out. Stuff's going on. People, oh, yeah. It's, it's moving. It's moving. People are making plans to come. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Although, although if you're if you're scooping me up at the airport, you might not be too enthusiastic about the departure. What time are you are you arriving? Um. Well, I have I have two flights in mind. Yes. One gets there, I think, at like six thirty p.m. on Thursday. Okay. Not this Thursday. Right. Right. Um. And then the other is like I think eleven. As long as it's not like four o'clock in the morning, you're cool. Oh, not arriving, but departing, it might be a, a little bit of an issue. Unfortunately, I can't help you with the departure. <laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> with that, <laughs> guess we could send the the company limo, but. Um, but the sniper will be in Saratoga, live and in person. I know, first time since two thousand and nine, Broski. It's been a decade. It's been a decade, but uh, no, we're looking forward to it. Um, we'll have an event of some sort, going in circles, something or other. <laughs> something. Something. The going the going in circles. Something. Yes. Yes. Uh, August when when uh eleventh eleventh through the fourteenth right so you're arriving on the eleventh yes sir all right no problem so all right great so uh, obviously we don't have anything firmed up yet but uh, we have oh, a date for the sniper yeah. which which was holding things up holding progress up so his <laughs> uh, accommodations are all ha- been handled and. Uh, Really, we're gonna have a, a whole lot of fun. Those. Oh days. yeah, that's how we roll. But um, this weekend, obviously, is uh, you know, uh, it's a meet that everyone waits for all year, and we have, I mean, we always have negative stuff to talk about, but um, and I'm sure there will be some negative stuff that happens. During me, I mean, we're gonna get yeah, we're gonna get a bad stewards call. We're gonna see short <laughs> only one. <laughs> we're, we're gonna yeah, you know, all, all these things are gonna happen. I'm sure there's going to be tons of talk about the shoot, the new shoot, the mile, the Wilson shoot. I'm not sure who which Wilson it was named after, <laughs> but um, Woody. It was named after Wilson, the the volleyball from the Tom Hanks movie. Uh, you might get spiked if somebody draws uh, the outside and cuts over, according to Johnny Velasquez, who wasn't real happy with the gate positioning. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, they have a, a stake, kind of a fake stake, but it's stake nonetheless on uh, Thursday, the Wilton, a brand new stake. That's what we needed. More steak. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it actually drew well. It drew nine, though three are from um, Mr. One Fletcher. Part. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that he will be in compliance with the rules after the uh, the mix-up that resulted in the, the scratch of a manual on, um, on Saturday, which cost which cost the race I shouldn't say cost the race because well changed the to be frank I cashed on it but um it did change it it changed the dynamics of the race which is something that's uh it's important and from what I can gather basically um not absolving team Fletcher of the um responsibility because ultimately we, you know, we operate as trainers under the ultimate insurer, the absolute insurer rule, which means ultimately you're responsible for everything, no matter what, even if, you know, there's things that are beyond your control, but it's just another case of the state and the regulators that, that just do a, a poor job of, of communication. Um, his veterinarian team is a big operation and they don't exclusively work for, for Todd Pletcher. They work for many, many other trainers, including many other big trainers. And they weren't aware of the rule. <laughs> That's a big problem. And <laughs> motion, um, you know, stated on Twitter, he wasn't aware of the rule. He's, he found out on Twitter, um, and this is one of those issues that kind of cuts to the core. As I said, I'm not absolving them from not, you know, from uh, not knowing the rules because, you know, like I said, in the end, you have to, you have to know them, even if, you know, it's not readily known. But um, the only reason this horse really uh, was even this even happened was for those big races, the grade ones are over a million, some qualification that very few races have. They do out a competition testing and the horse tested positive for um, a legal medication, a, a normal, regular legal medication, except that medication was also given in conjunction with another um anti-inflammatory and for people that want to make a big deal out of everything if you followed racing for like the last i don't know 35 years <laughs> those horses were getting those things the day before the race you know a lot of them like, like most of them so now if you want to get all upset because one was given six days before a race well that's your prerogative but um, these aren't sinister medications. These aren't illegal medications. These aren't medications that will have any effect on the horse in the, in the race, especially given that far out. Um, and what was given was, was something called Nacozone. <laughs> Nacozone is given generally to take uh, when you're trying to, um, when there's some sort of fill, when you're trying to alleviate the, the, the filling. And, and, and usually a leg, but I mean, it could be... Um, it could be a, a, I mean, you can get inflammation anywhere. Um, it was given in conjunction with butte, meaning that there was probably some sort of, of fill. But that, that can be from 
a burn. It can be from a, a bite. It can be from, be, you know, from a lot of different things. People just always assume, oh, God, you know, the horse must be lame, blah, blah, blah. No. And, and when we talk about lame, every horse ever has been lame at some point. Just like every person has had something that's hurt them at some point. Everyone has had a stubbed toe or a, um, a ingrown uh, nail or, or you jammed your hand or you broke a finger or you broke a leg or something. Everybody has injuries. Horses are not uh, any different. <laughs> and that's the thing that people get all you know worked up about. And part of the problems with these new rules is that they've turned lameness into a sin of sorts. And it's part of the natural process. If a horse has an abscess in his foot, he's going to be lame. But the best thing to do for that horse is to walk them because you get the, you, you, you try to get that um, abscess to, to pop. It's, it's frustrating because it's become a political thing and you have a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say I have a lot of people, virtually everyone on social media doesn't know what the hell they're talking about in regards to horse health and things like that. And even some of the veterinarians that, that do pop in once in a while, they are, uh, <laughs> uh, trying to think of the word to be, to be politically correct here. They, they can be a little bit over the top. And um, I say this, from having 40 years of experience working with horses that so much it now is blown out of proportion. Um, and this was, this was a technical violation that would have had, there's, you know, I get where we're at and, and like everybody's, um, you know, we're going to have a whole hodgepodge of rules and it's kind of like a maze to stay within the lines. And if you, you step on the line, well, then they're going to scratch you. Well, my thing is, and, and I'm, I'm going to come at this from a complete, you know, novice, beginner type, you know, position. What are they trying to prevent by doing this in those races? It's a grandstand play. Well, that's, that's what it seems like, because it's like, well, if the, if, if, it, if they're out of competition, does it really matter? Especially with legal drugs. I'm, I'm just, you know, in my head thinking that, you know, they'll, they'll give them something to treat them between races. Right. Well, sure. That's basically what this was, what was going on, but what are they trying to prevent with those tests? I don't understand that. Well, it's 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 a complicated thing. It's complicated. <laughs> you know why it's complicated more than like when people compare it to sports is because sports makes sense in a lot of ways. In that everyone is an employee, and they all want the same thing. They all want um, the NFL, for example. They all want teams to be successful, players to be successful, the league to be successful. They want people to watch it. They don't want controversy. Like They, they want controversy, but not that type of controversy. They don't want drug controversies. Right. But in this business, we have so many um, divergent groups that, that have 
completely different aims. And I mean, this was a Twitter argument the other day, and I just wouldn't give in because it's it's just idiocy to think otherwise. That when you say the racing has had a chance to to police itself, that's the most moronic statement that there is. <laughs> racing cannot co- police itself. There's no organization that can police racing. We are policed. We are policed by the states, the state racing commissions. You must be licensed in each state you race in. You don't get a choice. You don't say, ah, you know, it's a waste of it's a waste of time. If you're not licensed, you will be scratched. If you don't get licensed, they will not let you on the backside. The rules are set by the state. Yes, there are house rules. But they don't supersede state rules. They're used in examples where the state may not have a rule or the rule might be ambiguous. We're regulated by a government entity. And that's what I don't understand why people keep saying, well, racing should police itself. And then, you know, gradually you'll get down to, well, the trainer should have done something. What, what, what can we do? I almost fought George Navarro one time. In the, in the <laughs> Only once. Of, of Gulfstream Park. And if I had hit him over the head with a bench, you know what would have happened? The police would have come and arrested me. And I'm sure, I'm sure there have been plenty of people offering to bail me out. But there's always this idea that, oh, well, you guys can do more. Let me explain something to you if you don't understand or you don't know. Trainers complain more than any other group of people in the world. Trainers complain about everything. Everything. And you can tell or you ask any person (laughs) in racetrack management over the years if trainers haven't been complaining about other trainers. And, and the track condition and the race schedule and, you know, the, the way they maintain the track and, uh, you know, virtually every other thing that there's to complain about. Trainers complain. They may not go on in the New York Post and complain. But believe me, as a person that's, <laughs> that's been on the, the complaining side, you know that that reminds me of uh, of the story, <laughs> or not not even the story, or you know the track maintenance people. They're like you know trainers always get upset when their horse loses and the track's not good, and then <laughs> when the when they win, they're like, oh, the track's perfect. Of course, it, it's just that follows suit. You know, they. I'm sure you could talk to anybody in management at any track and be like, oh, the, the trainers are the worst. They just complain all the time. <laughs> they do. It's the truth. And, and it's, you know, it's part of the nature of the business, too. Because you remember one thing. Owners complain, too. And, um, yeah, you know, what's the saying? <laughs> Shit runs, goes downhill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and a, a lot of times I'm not saying that trainers aren't, aren't correct in, the, in their complaints. They may have a whole lot of... Um, you know, they may be actually on the right side of the argument. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that to pretend as though this is, um, you know, some thin blue line, and you know we're all standing together. 
I can, I can also tell you that, that nobody stabs each other in the back worse than trainers, too. I was going to say, it's the complete opposite of that. Right. <laughs> you know, come the on. The extreme opposite of that. But this idea that racing uh, should have policed itself, we should have come up with something. Like, should have come up with something. We cannot come up with a way uh, today. Uh, what were the two big signals today? Indiana Grand or whatever the hell they call it now, and and uh, Beanie Downs Colonial. <laughs> Colonial did three million, and Indiana probably did. I don't know, probably close to that. <laughs> fourth race, third, fourth race. They both they ran at the same time on a Monday. The only other tracks running were like the Finger Lakes. Yeah, that's wild that they ran at the same time. So, so the thing that, quote unquote racing is going to you know police itself it's just, it's just the stupidest argument who who's racing you want to say the tracks um should be more proactive i i think they should have been for years i thought they should have been but look what happened in the jerry hollendorfer case he's probably going to make a bunch of money because he was ruled off the track and um look at the baffert case is that what we would really want do we want trainers um that are allowed to run at some of the tracks and not at other other tracks is, is that really is that moving forward? Uh, look look at the Juan Vasquez situation. <laughs> Headline: Juan Vasquez uh, suspended till twenty twenty five for animal cruelty. Next day, Juan Vasquez has got two in at Saratoga opening day. I mean, due process and all this other stuff. It, it's not easy to do. This is not a league. This is not a private league. I saw someone the other day. Uh, um, and it was a naive post. And, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. But, you know, saying that, hey, w- you know, why don't we set our own circuit up? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, they have no idea. They have no understanding of what it would take to set that up. And, you know, I, I've seen what they pay for tracks. I, I don't think it would, it would cost that much. And I'm thinking to myself. You sure? Uh, <laughs> I saw that too. And I was like, you yeah, sure? like if you have like a spare billion, like how do you think this this how do you think acquiring racetracks is going to go? You're you're not. Um, I mean, what, which tracks are you going to acquire? Portland Meadows or whatever it's called. What, what's a uh, Grants Pass? You could probably buy that for five ten million. You know. You think Baffert's going to send 20 there? Or maybe, you know, Baffert's not allowed at your track. So you think, uh, you know, trainer X that, that's approved is going to send 20 there? I mean, it, it's just people have no comprehension of, of of what it takes to run a racetrack. Race running, and I, and I believe me, I, I get it. it it's, it's There's a lot of stuff associated with it. You have politics at the city, county, state level uh, um you have um so many different deals that um so many different contracts depending on what state you're in if you have union employees um the epa has been a real pain in the ass for racetracks for the last 20 years um because of the manure and the runoff and a lot of racetracks are in um, you know, relatively urban areas, and those aren't really equipped to deal with that, and it's cost tons of money to um, 
to get in uh, in compliance with what the EPA wants. Uh, maintaining a racetrack, the surface is expensive. Um, the backside, the insurance, I don't even know what they pay for insurance, but God, the liability insurance has got to be got to be massive you have um just it's just so it's just so complicated uh and that and that's like without even considering that what kind of purses can you offer if, if you're not attached to some sort of alternate revenue stream um you know keeneland has well keeneland has slots now at, at the red mile but before that keeneland Know, yeah, sold a billion dollars worth of horses every year. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they had that. Keeneland always paid more towards purses than the handle um, figures would require them to. They always paid more. But like I said, they have um, you know some of the biggest horse sales in the world that they get a cut of. They get a piece of that action. Uh, obviously, the big tracks... You know, Kentucky, New York, they have slots, more or less. You know, they want to call them whatever, whatever they call them, but they're slots. Instant racing. Right. So, uh, Oaklawn, slots. How do you compete with those places? Tampa Bay competes because they, they have an ideal location and at the right time of the year. But... If Miss Stay were to put Tampa Bay Downs up for sale and you're thinking, well, they're doing six, seven million dollars a day, how much is that land worth to a developer in that location? <clears throat> Three times that. It's, it's, it's got to be in the, uh, <laughs> you know, the nine feet. I mean, look at what they sold Calder for, that land. Uh, the, the amount of money they're getting for, and well, Calder has a perfect location for those logistical companies that that are buying it up because they're right there in an in intersection between a bunch of different highways, and it's zoned everything, and you know, it just they couldn't make as much money on it as a racetrack as they needed to. But it's it's just you know the whole point, I guess, was that. Racing has never had the ability to police itself. And anyone who thinks that there's just a magic wand that you can um, tap on the top of everyone's heads and everything's going to get into line. And it's just, it, it just doesn't exist. And, and that's not even taking into consideration, um, you know, different personalities involved. Uh, I mean, we, we saw Naira tell Mr. Baffert he wasn't allowed to participate until January. Uh, and it wasn't a few days later. <laughs> Dennis Drazen said, hey, you've, you've been a big help to us here, and, and we, we have no problems with you. You're welcome here. So there you are. You know, there you have it. There you have it. I mean, that if that doesn't say... Um, you know, that doesn't point out why it just is impossible to to say that oh racing should have just policed itself. I, I don't know what else to tell you. I just don't know what else to tell you. And it doesn't matter which side of the argument you're on. 
doesn't matter which side you're on. Because there's going to be plenty of people that are going to say, you know what, Baffert never did anything wrong in New Jersey and New York. And yeah, he, he got a positive in, in Kentucky, but he did his days. And uh, you know, why should he be treated differently than everyone else? I'm not, I'm not saying that that's, that's my take or it is my take, but, um, you know, and other people are going to say, hey, you know, the guy's done a tremendous amount of damage to the game and, and he deserves it. So it's just not going to – you're just never going to get an easy answer for these things. And, yeah, everybody wants to get rid of Juan Vasquez because, you know, he's he's a jerk-off. But, I mean, it's not usually that easy. It's not usually a guy uh, – I mean, uh, we, we can name some names – if Peter Miller's name came up, everybody would want to get rid of him because no one likes him. But, you know, you can't just get rid of all the people that, that are, you know, the people you don't like. And and I, like I said, I've said before, I mean, we've talked about this on the show. My question to the states is the actual regulators, the people that you should be taking the blame. Because I hardly ever see anybody, when anything happens in New York, I hardly ever would see anyone say, hey, New York State Racing and Gaming Commission, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> they, blame, they blame Naira. A lot of stuff has you know, really nothing to do with them. But that's... I just don't see people blaming the regulars. They blame quote unquote racing or the track or this or that. And it's just silly. You know, my, my question again is if a person has these violations, violation after violation, after violation, after violation, then why do they keep getting renewed? Why do they keep giving them another license? Because it seems unlikely if those people were doing something else, that needed to, to have a, a state, a professional license, that they committed violation after violation after violation, that they would continue to be licensed without being sanctioned. It just seems like that is the where this 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 really should start. And everybody blames quote unquote racing. The state racing commissions are not part of racing other than they're forced upon us. And I'll be honest, if there was some panel of racing experts that was in charge instead of the state racing commissions, it might not be much better. I was going to say, it might, it might be pretty yeah. the same or worse. <laughs> it might right. I mean, you see how they handle most everything in this business. So um, it's not that, it's not that it would be all would be perfect, but. The fact of the matter is that racing has never regulated itself, at least in my lifetime. And, um, you know, and that's and that's that. And and it took HISA to be passed. And, and HISA was only passed because of the FBI and because of, of, of Churchill finally um, acquiescing and, 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 and telling McConnell. Yeah, we're behind it now. Because if Churchill had said, no, we're still not behind it, this bill would have never passed. If 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 the federal government had to pay dollar number one to this thing, oh, never it would have never passed. Not even 
It would have never gotten, but, but I shouldn't say it would never pass. It would have never been added on there because nobody was wanted to be the people that were voting, the, the politicians, the, the legislatures that were voting to use federal tax money to regulate horse racing. Non-starter. But even Heitza. You know, these lawsuits, they haven't been successful yet. And no, I, I didn't turn into Johnny Cochran overnight. Jackie but, Kyles. But when Bennett Lehman said that, hey, the thing might be in trouble, he knows. It <laughs> might be in trouble. I don't know. I, I'm not a legal scholar. I don't know shit about it. But when a guy like that says, hey, you know, um, in it might be okay in this court, in that court, but it gets to this court based upon these other findings, it might be in trouble. So there is a bill that was passed that, that was, you know, a federal bill that got the the um, the majority leaders a blessing that was made into the law of the land. And even that's kind of shaky. And, and everyone... Everyone's seen how it's it's been launched. So it's just not it's just a silly thing to say. And has quote unquote racing done a poor job in many areas? Absolutely. No question. No question. But uh regulating itself never had the power to do it, so so that's that. Because Stone Cold said so. Do you think that's why that, that um, Hissa was really, you know, kind of vague and, you know, rolled out improperly because of that? Like there was those issues with his constitutionality or whatever? I don't know. I mean, I really, it, it's hard to say, Barry, because, like, we know so little about what goes behind, on behind closed doors. And um, it seems like there was plenty of time, but, I mean, they've had some major hiccups along the way, and the USA uh, ADA thing was yeah. uh, something that I'm sure they didn't foresee. And uh, this Lisa Leslie lady, I mean... Oh, it's Carly so Leslie. Just dunk on you. Yeah, she's not six eight. <laughs> um, no, Lisa Lazar. She was hired at the end of February. The bill passed in, in in December of the previous year, not December like three months before. It was like fifteen months until she was hired. So I don't know. I I don't know why everything took so long, but but. I mean, most people didn't pay much attention to it, but I, I was kept thinking, when are they, they going to make some announcements as to what's going on here? And then they made the announcements of who was on the board, which, of course, made me roll my eyes because, you know, just a bunch of old suits. And, you know, so I, I wasn't expecting much, but I don't know why everything's taking so long. And it's just... Um, I mean, it's here, and, and everyone has to deal with it, and that's all there is to it. But, um, but no matter how uh, fervent a supporter you are of it, 
you have to say that, that the way that the communication has just been terrible. Um, there's still, uh, I, I know that trainers have, have mentioned to me that they've asked the, the veterinarians, either the state or the track veterinarians at the various racetracks, questions, technical questions, and no one has answers. And that's, you know, this thing's an effect. <laughs> so that, that's, uh, I mean, honestly, it's like, I, I don't even, there's, there's really not even anything new to cover with them. It's just the same old, same old. And, uh, someone was telling me that, um, one of the tracks has got more, um, more of those the heights of vets walking around than they do private practitioners who can't keep up and do all the work. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I said earlier, uh, yeah, everybody, you know, everyone's goal should be the same, but I don't know that that's true. I mean, we should want to do the best thing for racing, um, but you have to have a good plan and, and it just doesn't seem like a good plan. Anyways, like I said, I'm sick of talking about it. Dang it. I'm sick of talking about it. How about that Iowa Derby? <laughs> <laughs> I got to admit that um, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of uh, of uh, interest in, in the Iowa Derby or the I, Indiana Derby or any of the races, to be honest. I mean, I saw them. I watched them. And I, I don't know why everyone, like, was, why was there any controversy about the Indiana Derby? That horse shouldn't have come down. Was it nuts? Uh, yeah, I was, I'm with you there. I didn't, I don't know what the hubbub was about. I don't either. I mean, a horse who wasn't going anywhere was steady <laughs> and continued to not go anywhere. I mean, Rattle and Roll was, he was stuck in slow motion. He wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> he was barely he was steady a little bit. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Not enough to be, you know, not not enough to get taken down. That's for sure. I, I don't. I don't even know that I'd have hung this, the the inquiry up on that. Because to me, it just was you know, incidental more than anything. But um, yeah, I mean. Late developers, maybe they can they can uh, make a little noise later in the year. <clears throat> I'm not particularly uh, um, high on either of the winners of the Indiana Derby or the Iowa Derby. But the Iowa Derby was won by an Iowa bred. <laughs> Pretty good one. What I um, mean, what was your take on those races? Same thing. I mean, you know, it's it's just like the the Ohio Derby is the B and C team participants, and it's what you get, you know. And it wasn't yeah. bad. I mean, it, you know, the the races themselves weren't 
bad by any means, but it was just, you know, that's what you get. You know, you know what made those races better? <laughs> oh, no. If, if you combine the two fields. That would be great. Get a, you know, 14-horse field for either one of those. But you can only do that if you time those races per- properly. <laughs> You know, if you if you don't put them on the same day, that would help. <laughs> yeah, well, you you could also say, you know, it would it would be nice if we actually time the races themselves. Well, yeah, well, that's 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 another issue. I mean, they I I just don't understand where did it go wrong and when with the timing. I thought that was like one of the most solid things you could count on in racing for the longest time. And now you um, all. Uh, well, a, a move was made to try to um, utilize new technology. And the new technology just isn't that good. Um, you know, we're racing, and I'm not going to single people out because I don't. I'm sick of getting people crying about me being negative. But um, what they should have done was once they figured out these things don't work. Go back. Go back. <laughs> Easy. Go back. You know, it's, it's scrap it. And I could go on a 20-minute um, soliloquy on, on why they didn't because... Again, it's conjecture, but maybe they just don't think it's that big of a deal. I think that's definitely true. But um, you know, it, it it's which is kind of stunning considering the importance of speed figures in today's. Um, I almost did Danny Byer voice right there. Oh, uh, the Byer speed figures are all screwed up. When the timing of the races is incorrect, but no, it's true though. I mean, not just not just handicapping, not just for betters, but for the value of the horses themselves. People buy and sell horses that have raced based upon speed figures. It is probably ninety percent of the equation. If a horse breaks his maiden by 10 and the figure comes back mediocre or slow, the horse probably doesn't change hands. So when you see a horse at some track and he wins by the length of the stretch, um, but the number doesn't come back super fast and the people still have the next star, it's not because they turned out big money. It's probably because they didn't get offered big money. Rich Strike, correct? He won by 12, didn't he? Yeah. Broke his mane by 12? Yeah. I think it was more than that. It could have been more than that. Maybe yeah. it was 15. Right. But it wasn't a particularly fast race. And it was just basically beat bad horses. So that is where it, it's super important as well because, you know, mistiming of a race causes everything to be screwed up 
And in the buyer system, a lot of what they use is projections. Um, that's one of the ways that they go back and, and kind of make sure that the number that they're giving isn't um, way too high or way too slow. Meaning they'll look at the, the number they assigned to the all the horses. Because remember, they're not just giving a number to, to uh, the winner. They're giving numbers to all the horses. And if, it, if everyone in the race jumped up 15 or 20 points, or everyone in the race did the opposite, slowed down 15 or 20 points, then that number would be called into question. And they would probably adjust it because the odds of you know, seven horses all improving the same amount in the same day is... is you know, just that's a million to one. I mean, and remember that the speed figures are they're based upon facts, but they're opinions. They're an opinion of the figure maker, you know, and they use the the numbers and any other uh, data that they have to come up with that number. But in the end, it's not a fact. The time is the fact. The speed figure is is not a fact. So. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important from that standpoint, too. And that's, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of money that, that's, that's affected. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a big deal, but, you know, it's racing. Apparently, the um, human error caused the ludicrous fractions in the uh, <laughs> Belmont Oaks. They did not go 44 to the half. It. Going a mile and a quarter on the turf, though the turf was kind of yeah fast to me it was, hard and fast. Yeah, and I, I think that that um, you wanted to be up closer. I, I thought it was a big disadvantage for horses coming from way back. Um, well, that's why I thought uh, <laughs> Nation's Pride really ran excellent. He did. He overcame a lot, considering the way that pace ended up, you know, setting up. And, I mean, he really was kind of coming at the end there, but it was just too little too late. You know, we've talked about, and I know you've got, um, you're involved with uh, a new project coming out that, uh, you know, is going to try to, I don't know what the word would be, but not instruct, but but educate or, or you know, kind of give um, more advanced theory about handicapping, betting, uh, all the factors. Um, and it'll be interesting for me to see how they, they roll it out. But, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is, is doing something, a live stream of some sort that is focused towards people who don't care about dapples <laughs> don't care about people's picks um, and want data and also want information that, that might not readily be available uh, on the PPs that they have because most of these shows they just regurgitate the same things that, that you're looking at already um Don't get me started with that. But I think that the classic causeway was a perfect example of a guy. <clears throat> of, a, of a, if a guy is handicapping the race the day before, 
um, you have a hard time coming up with him. And the dynamics of the race completely changed when Emmanuel was scratched. And then after a couple turf races, and uh, I didn't really count the first one because it was really bad horses and it was a crazy pace. And I mean, that, that race to me was an outlier. But it, it seemed like closing a lot of ground was not going to be an easy task on the inner turf course. And uh, I just kind of said to myself, I give Classic Causeway of Fighters a puncher's chance in here because of the pace scenario and because, in my opinion, the track was not conducive to deep closers. And a lot of the, the, the strength in, in both those races was deep closers. Um. And I think that's why the Belmont Derby when Stone Age just didn't want to go up to the lead, which I I didn't think he was going to. I thought he might be a little bit closer. He probably didn't think he'd like 12. (laughs) No. Um, You know, because he won going wire to wire. And I I know over in Europe, they, you know, races are ridiculously slow. And anybody that gets the lead, is gifted the lead. <laughs> Not the same over here, but I didn't think he, you know, just off principle alone would have thought they might have tried to be a little bit closer. You know, you never really know about those European, the Euro horses that come over here. Um, because as you said, a lot of times over there, they don't break that great, but it doesn't really matter because you know, the pace is usually not that strong and they're able to find up, you know, wind up getting position anyways. Um, but well, no I mean, doubt, I mean, age like, is last race, you went wire to wire. No, no, you're, you're right. I mean, I'm and, not... and, you know, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, far fetched that that horse could get near the lead. Well, you would, though, you'd not, I'm not saying. I mean, it would have been, to me, unlikely he would have gotten the lead because there was two horses in the race, American Speed, that right. um, you know, exactly. looked like and... they, they were going to be you know, setting a, a decent enough honest pace. So, But I, I could see him laying third or fourth. Right, third or fourth, you know, second tier type you know, positioning. Yeah, I, I didn't have him 11th at the half mile pole. But, um, you know, he, he actually ran pretty damn good considering. Um, and then there was another one, another bad middle move, which I was like, what the hell is going on? There was a horse that it was a six horse, another Euro. Uh, machete. Yeah. Uh, machete made like a, like a three sixteenths of a mile move. And then just, right. And it was like, where were you going? What were you doing? <laughs> then he stopped. Like he got lassoed <laughs> by somebody <laughs> <laughs> like the outriders grabbed him from grabbed him <laughs> his tail or something. He just, he went into complete retreat. Machete. That was a, a wide move to to nowhere. Right. It was like it was like right before the far turn, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what's going on here?" Yeah, his running line has him uh, eighth. Um, then it has him third. Then it has him twelfth. <laughs> so, he he, uh, he made a. A menacing move, but it was a very brief move. The menace was not long. It was not a, a, a sustained 
All the other horses are like, hey, look at that horse over there. Yeah, like, where's he going? <laughs> You're looking to go backwards. Uh, but, uh, hey, you know what? At least the the fact of the matter is that you know the prices were really good. And, um, I mean, uh, you know, you sit back and you always can... Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I looked and I was like, man, I could have had... <laughs> I could have very easily had the, the the numbers in that race. I mean, Exacta for a dollar paid two hundred bucks with uh, Nation's Pride, who actually went off the favorite, the favorite. light favorite right. for Stone Age, and you know Stone Age was third, and the Tribe for fifty cents paid four hundred sixty nine bucks. Like you know, Chuck, you bet the winner at twenty six to one. Like you know, throw them over the two favorites for a couple bucks. But whatever. Like I said, I. I and until the fifth race, I didn't even like Classic Causeway. <laughs> but that's that's like you know we've talked about it before. Is you got to make adjustments sometimes, and you can't just pigeonhole yourself into a whole day's worth of action without doing some evaluation between races. No, no, I think that's the thing that you have to really be cognizant of, and that's why I think that the the regular shows don't, they, they just don't give you that, you know, they're set in and, and I understand that they're, you know, they're on TV and it's a, uh, it's a little bit of a different concept and format and you got to dumb it down a little bit, which they do very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, there's a big difference between dumbing it down and just picking every available morning line favorite. I'll be honest, I don't think picking horses is, is a benefit to anyone. No, it isn't. You know, not technically. No, it is not. You know, we, we know why they do it, but it's it's still, it's, to me, it's just distracting. And Well, it's only distracting when you're not getting good information behind it. Right. No, I, I hear you. I just think that the, there's a definitely a core group of people that um, would appreciate things to be spoken in a, in a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more in depth manner, right? And I and you know I've always been a big proponent too of of trying to find things out, like analyzing the race after the race is over, and then trying to find out, you know, like the Frenchie. I mean, that horse is going to go back to Europe so it doesn't really matter but I would love to be able to have someone have asked the rider like what the hell was going on there <laughs> or you know ask Ryan Moore was that the plan or did the horse just not you know break slow and then just kind of not get into it because you were on the outside post or, um, because they always interview the winners who cares what the winners do the winners are always going to tell you the same thing oh the horse went great that doesn't help you. And and sure, you, you got to interview the winners because they won. But the information part, the people, the, the core betters, the players, they want to know about the losers, not about the winner. The winner, you know, we don't that, one. That, that, that doesn't give us any. Uh, how many times in uh, winners interviews, whether it's the trainer or whether it's the jockey, do you get any information that is ever going to be beneficial to you? Maybe what five percent of the time? Yeah, that's probably accurate. Yeah, 
because the horse won. He did great, you know. <laughs> or maybe he got lucky, but I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I just think that there's there's a way to do this. Um, and of course, there's going to be criticism because there's always criticism. Everybody criticizes. There's, there's there's no there's no one thing that's ever been done, probably anywhere in society that that there wasn't a one group that didn't like it. Uh, but I think that that's that is something that really could, you know, could be a benefit. Um, and if I was a racetrack, if I ran a racetrack, I would be all over it. I would be all over it. I would want to do that. I would want to give um, my better players because we're not talking about the guys that are betting ten cent supers. We're talking about the guys that that really you know put money in. Um, and that would be your target audience. That, to me, would be important. But I don't run a racetrack, so. <laughs> uh, and currently, no one that really does run a racetrack asks us anything. They steal ideas, but they don't ever ask. But um, but I am looking forward to Saratoga. I mean, the card is is super solid on Thursday. Fridays is not quite yeah. as solid, but. I mean, they're, they're, it's nice to see. It's nice to not see a bunch of five horse fields. I mean, the main yeah. races are a little bit light, but uh, which is surprising. But I remember a couple of years ago when they, they they capped the maidens at Saratoga at ten. I, I couldn't. I didn't understand why they did that. Um, why why they they capped them at ten instead of twelve, especially the the six and seven for long races that had a you know, plenty of chance to spread themselves out. Um, that's, you know, no longer a problem. What did I think it was eight. <laughs> was it, was it eight? Maybe they capped it at eight. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they did. It just didn't, it just didn't, it seemed to be like a, a solution to a problem that didn't exist. <laughs> now, now it doesn't exist either, but, but no, the cards are good. And uh, the weather looks you know, pretty good. We should, uh, they, they should have a good first weekend. Um, I didn't see the card for Saturday yet, but, um, hopefully it's, uh, be nice to have, have good cards. Uh, I thought, I thought Colonial's card, it was a little odd because they had the, the Virginia bread stakes, which are yeah. for Virginia. Maiden so, winner. However, they're, you know, eligible to be in there. <laughs> Those are kind of bizarre stake races, but, uh, they did 3 million in handle and, um, it was, it's solid for a Monday. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot better than your usual Monday fair. I'll, I'll say that. And, um, I always tell, uh, Beamy that his colonial gig is like the best thing going. Calls races on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And that's it. <laughs> Got the weekends off. It's true. He'll be he'll be traveling up and down the the, the ninety five corridor. Go to Laurel. He might. You never know. Beamy's. He's, he's not like, adverse to to whipping it. He ain't afraid of getting in that 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 car of his and the Beammobile. The Beammobile. Put put the video on and have a vlog. Is that like the Pope Mobile? 
the Bean Mobile. The it's, same it's, thing. It's similar. It, it has probably the glass. Yeah, the, the the bulletproof windows. But it's a, it's a nice addition to the to the calendar, and um, you know, I'll I'll check the races out. My dad was already his his interest was peaked when he saw a seven thousand dollar exacta on the on the simulcast. Hey, I don't blame him. He's like, oh, I got to get involved in this track. They got seven thousand dollar exactas. <laughs> I said, is it, was that for two or one? He said, what does it matter? <laughs> I said, I guess you're right. <laughs> I think the tribe paid 52000 It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, that's what you get when you get 50 to 1 over 60. When you get a big field, you know, field size matters. Remember that? Remember that discussion that we've had? Remember that? Uh, about that four million times? Call me crazy. <laughs> Call me nuts, but... Uh... It matters. It does matter. So you're going to be up here the August uh, 11, 12, 13th. Dude, it better be sweltering hot up there. You know what was funny was um, was today was a non-hoodie day for me. What? And it was like 93. See and that? that you know, because... you know what the, and, this, and this I'm sure people think it's weird, but like it seemed normal. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Wow, this is this is like cool." It's not that... like home. Yeah, it's warm, but it's not that hot. And I looked at the 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 bank thing had the temperatures like ninety three. I was like, "Oh, I didn't even realize it was that hot." No wonder everyone else is complaining. I thought it was kind of normal, but Saratoga Harness had their last matinee going going to the uh, six forty five post now on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sure that we'll uh, make our way over there during your your visit for sure. Oh hell yeah! Any <laughs> horses and food? Mm. What else is there? Not much, to be honest. <laughs> so. Um... You, you check out the card at all on Thursday? I perused it. I didn't really dig into it. I, I mean, I don't know if anybody out there understands my my process, but I don't spend much time handicapping, per se. I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, watch 9,000 replays. You know, I'll go through a card once. You know, just to see who's in there, kind of get a lay of the land, then go through it again uh, with with the eliminations, <laughs> the horses that I will not be using, and then I start constructing tickets. That's where most of the time is spent. I mean, usually all morning, the day of the races, I I usually kind of zero in on one sequence and lean on that one um, and make a real big push for, for a sequence, you know, whether it's a pick three, pick four, pick five, or maybe all of them, depending on, on how much I like a horse. Um, and then I, I kind of, you know, get crazy with it in the other races and, and kind of try to put some things together 
based on, you know, just kind of thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. And and I, I come up with a lot of winners and, and decent, you know, uh, vertical bets that way and fall into some nice little payoffs. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of even, you know, push your, your opinion even more in the races that I kind of key in on. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's tough. It's a tough game. It is. It's a very <laughs> tough game. And like you said, man, uh, you, you get the handicapping too far, too many days out. And, yeah, it's you know, paralysis by analysis, and, and I can't do it because I've done it, and, and I learned from that, you know, just between that and being indecisive, I had to eliminate that out of my repertoire. Yeah. And once I did that, I started winning more and understanding, you know, you just got to go with your decisions, and, and, and especially with betting, because you can really lose yourself <laughs> by trying to, to cover so many combinations. And, and it's not really, in my opinion, the way I play, it, it's not worth it for me. Right. Well, I think time, how you use your time has to be important too, because, um, you know, like you said, you spend hours upon hours upon hours analyzing a card and then it rains. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> everything's different or, or, you know, in the case, I mean, the Belmont Derby was a perfect example of right. a really key scratch changing the race. And we don't know how to race with a, you know, maybe Emmanuel would have stumbled out of the, out of the gate, you know, who knows? I mean, until they, they run the race, we, we don't really know. There's no absolutes, but um, it certainly was, uh, like, like I said, I, I wasn't, I wasn't betting on classic causeway until, after the fifth race and I started to actually put him in my thought process because you know I, I started saying to myself lone speed hey, situ- slow speed situation and he is a quality horse it's not like he's uh you know some brandy percent and he claimed for 25 <clears throat> so that's the thing is so many things change and I mean, it's not always, and I'm not saying that there was a wild speed bias, but but it was difficult for horses to close uh, ground, and and it that was kind of the um, the way the the Belmont Oaks played out. Uh, the horses, uh, Bob Hess's horse, went to the lead, and um, the the what's his name chased and. The Chad Brown horse kind of sat fourth or fifth, but you know, fourth or fifth in a twelve horse field is, is close is enough. Front, right. And the the horses from behind really never had any chance in that race. And you know, that that's kind of like my thing is that uh handicapping that race three days out, I'm not coming up with classic causeway. So, you know, you gotta be I, I think you have to be willing to to change your mind. And I, I don't I think the biggest mistake people I shouldn't say the biggest mistake, but I think a mistake that people make is they fall in love with horses huh. and because maybe they made money on them before, or maybe they've had luck with them, or maybe they just like them, but that's, that's dangerous thinking because then you wind up um, uh, letting that sway your opinion. It sure does. I mean, I, I've been guilty of that 
throughout the years. I mean, even to this day. New, some... Year, New Year's Eve, I made a gigantic score on, on Derby Day. But, you know. Just wasn't the right spot. Honestly, I, I played her. I, I used her some in, in the picks, and, and I was actually kind of, like, disgusted with myself because I said, you know what? You didn't like her in this spot. And I threw her in there just because, um, because you know, I'm a moron. <laughs> if I hadn't made a big score on her, I guarantee you, I, would, I don't put her on a ticket. And it wasn't like I was betting, you know, six thousand dollar pick threes or pick fours or excuse me, whatever. But it still, it was just wasted money. Uh, and, and I mean, other factors too. Sometimes, like the scratches in the victory ride, and all of a sudden the Albatrani horse on the outside, who really looked like the only closer in the race of any note, even though he or she was, seemed to be a, a cut below the best. Um, and that was not a particularly strong race. It was just an unusual race with uh, so many fillies that wanted to be on the lead. We, we see <laughs> so many races these days without any speed, and that was a race that they all had speed, and you correctly assessed that Louis Saez was going to be the speed of the speeds, and he was, and uh, you know that that was really the key that I had a hard time figuring out who was going to be the speed of speeds. Um, but the Albatrani horse was was wildly overbet. Uh, the filly on the outside, right? It was eight to one morning line, and I, I was thinking, you know, if she's sick, like six to one, maybe I'll, I'll try to put her and you know get her involved somehow, but. She wasn't. She was. She was. She opened up the favorite. So that's another occasion where a horse is just way too low. And like I said, the only reason I even considered it was because I said, "Well, if we get some kind of three-way massive speed duel here, um, none of these horses are are look like they're the the second coming of Lady Secret. Like they're going <laughs> to duel and then just draw off." So, it was a race that seemed ripe for a, a setup, but uh, but he, you know, the, the filly got no real excuse. I mean, she just every chance to win that. Yeah, race. she she just chased and and just wasn't good enough. So, you know, well, I think there was those are two really good examples of uh, of of why, and, and I think it's another example of why they've all you know guys have always said being a public handicapper stuff because you're putting those picks in early. I mean, when you're picking for the newspaper, not that they do it anymore, but in the old days, you know, Russ Harris. Harris. I mean, those guys, I, I think they were putting them in the, the, the morning before. So they're, you know, doing selections, guessing on a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, you can have an idea, but like you said, there's there's so many factors that you deal with as a, as a horse player that it's not an exact science and you can understand like, you know, once you, you've played this game long enough and you've seen selection, you see how people kind of pick races. You can, you can kind of get a feel for why they're picking who they're picking, um, you know, handicapping the handicapper sort of thing. Um, but you can use that to your advantage and, and, and make your adjustments, you know, on those things. And, and that's one thing that I had to overcome as a younger horse player is trying to figure out, <laughs> you know, 
to 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 sift out the difference between stuff that I can use and stuff that I can't. And being able to get a style, you kind of get a, you know, not not so much a rhythm because you don't want to get into a space where you're doing the same thing every time. But you have an idea of what you want and what you're looking for. And sometimes that can lead you you know, in different directions and and you just got to be able to, to make the right decision at the right time. And it's, it's a skill and people, you know, you you learn it by losing, (laughs) you know, I I mean, I, I, I could tell you all the nightmare stories I had when I was in college playing the races, just, just bad betting, just a one bad betting episode after another. And just over time, you learn a few things and you cut things out and you add different things. And even to this day, some of the things that you say, you know, weren't on my radar that I'll end up using now in certain situations. So it's, it's kind of a never ending process, but I mean, it's just tough. You just got to have the mental resolve and, and be able to withstand the, the psyche of the game, which is tough for a lot of people to do. I can tell you that you see horse players just lose their minds. Yeah, no doubt. And I was watching a seminar last night on, um, <laughs> in, in between watching the Knicks summer league. This is my life, right? <laughs> That's not a bad life, man. Hey, the Knicks are like, <laughs> they're like the Showtime Lakers in the summer league, bro. They're going to win this. Oh league. man. They, they look like title contenders. <laughs> <laughs> they were up four in the season. They look like chicken tenders. They're terrible. But um, anyways, it was uh, Fazit Tipton is doing these seminars and, and putting a bunch of different people up there. Uh, consigners, uh, guys who uh, raise the horses, um, farm, farm managers, uh, some buyers and some veterinarians and uh, you know, kind of explaining the process and people asking questions. So I figured it, it might be interesting. And it was it was actually, you know, relatively worthwhile. Uh, but one of the vets made a made a statement, and I, I was thinking about it, how it pertains to, to handicapping and, and betting. And he was talking about um, X-ray findings, because like when you buy yearlings or two-year-olds or whatever, you'll generally take a good look at the X-rays and make sure that everything looks okay, and then they'll usually scope the horse and check its throat. Uh, and it was you know, there's been this debate about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And of course it's, it's in the eye of the beholder in many, many cases. Um, Curlin was a horse, for example, that many people passed on because of x-rays of his hocks. And the vet who passed him was a, was actually a, a doctor named Max Begay, Dr. Begay from New Orleans, who was a very, very good vet. He, he did my work in the, the fairgrounds um but he passed him he told mcpeak who who bought him as a yearling that uh he said he's seen that a lot of times at the racetrack and he goes i don't think it really has any effect on performance and as it turns out uh, he, they got curling for fifty nine thousand bucks <laughs> looks it like a pretty good <laughs> pretty good buy at this point right um but uh what the vet said last night was he said a lot of it is price dependent 
And he goes, uh, it's client dependent. He goes, I have some clients that literally want perfect x-rays, perfect scopings. They just, that's what they want and that's what they get. So uh, occasionally he'll have to turn horses down who he thinks are okay, but it's a client preference. Um, but he said, he goes, a lot of times there's things that if the horse is going to be in the, uh, the 20, 30, 40, $50,000 range, he'll okay them. But if they were going to be $750,000, he said, I, I would, I would probably be a little bit more uh, conservative about it. And I think yeah. that, that goes into the handicapping angle or, or not the handicapping, but the betting angle um, in that you can give a whole lot of leeway to horses based upon their price. If a horse is going to be 35 to one uh, and he's not going to get a perfect setup, but you can find a reasonable scenario where the horse can win. Well, then you play him. That's what I look for. <laughs> it doesn't have to be 35 though. It could be seven. Right. Seven. It, it one, just yeah. depends on, on uh, just not the favorite. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing is like, you should be trying to beat the favorites. The guy said something today. It was kind of weird. It was just odd. And he, he said he was on the Chad Brown train. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're a better, the Chad Brown train is not the train you want to be on. Because well, he wins plenty. It's not that. It's not that he doesn't win. But you can't take overbet horses all the time and win. You just can't. You try to beat those horses. That's where the, the value is in beating the horses, the, the overbet horses or the prohibitive favorites. There's much, much, much more um, to be gained by beating them than it is to be playing them. And, uh, you know, without going into boring detail, you just can't bet odds on horses all the time. You just can't. I think you just have to be committed to doing that. You can't. <laughs> I would never but, you know, only because math tells you, you know, the statistics that more non-favorites win. Uh, so there's that. Um, but, you know, you've seen days where it's just been a complete and utter chalk train. Yeah. And, you know, I had to come to grips a long time ago where... I had to say, you know, I had I had to commit to one direction or the other. It was it was like the fork in the road. Are you going to be a chalk player, or are you going <laughs> to you actually going to do something, you know, other than chalk and and go that route? And I had a hard time, especially on big race days, where you get the you know just an excessive amount of chalk. Yeah, well, I had to come you, to grips with the fact I wasn't going fields. to win. You know, the way I play, I'm never going to win a day on a day like that. I may hit a couple bets, you know, maybe a super or something straight stuff like that. Um, but usually if, if Chuck wins, I'm not going to have a good day. I think that's a, that, that like hits on a bigger point than when we were kind of, you know, tisk tisked. Oh, you shouldn't complain about these horses. They're star horses. <laughs> The big day race concept was led to great betting races, and now it's not. Now it's not. So that's part of the process, too, of, of, of the process of being upset about this, is that 
these are the days when the, you're getting the biggest pools and you're getting you know a, a greater percentage of sucker money, even though the sucker money is really not that great at any time other than maybe Derby Day. Um, but but the, that's been taken away because because of the short fields and these stakes. And, and, you know, there are occasions where, yeah, you can use a three to five shot. If you sure. like a, a pick four sequence and you have a horse in there that's, that's 20 to one that's live. Well, you don't want to blow <laughs> by, by not using the four to five shot, even <laughs> if you should be three to one, because you just want to get a live with that horse, you, you have the $44 horse. You want to make sure you continue to be alive because the $44 one made the pick four. But you, on, on normal, regular days, days that you don't have a 20 to one shot to key in a race or, or you really feel strongly about, which is most days, that playing those horses just doesn't really move the needle. And and these people that play the, horse, the those overbet horses and other horses in the race, I mean, that really is, is just, I don't know, let them, I don't know. I, sometimes I, I say to myself, why are we complaining about this? We're <laughs> like, not complaining. We're, we're betting against yeah. these people. You know, I, I want, matter of fact, bet all the chalk. Do it again. Balls. Do it in the next race. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I've learned, especially, I'd say within the last, let's say, five years, is what I've done or what I've tended to do is on big days lay off the the horizontal bets. Lay off the pick fours, pick fives, pick sixes, and just play vertically in races with favorites, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of to adapt to the scenarios that I'm facing, you know, and it's hard to do, especially, you know, being at the track, it's even harder. Um, I, I find it a little bit easier to, to gamble at home than I do at the racetrack. Yeah. For a whole lot of reasons. I think, I think it's easier to pass races when you're, when you're home. Yeah. Cause you can go to the fridge and get a grape soda and. And I, I mean, yeah. I'm not a guy that bets all the races. I don't bet every race. I never, ever, ever, ever did. But, um, you know, sometimes you'll see a horse in a race and you'll be like, you know, that horse is a big, big underlay or big overlay here or or more cases. Than not. And one of the reasons that it was really upsetting to me that that the, um, the betting exchanges never really. Well, I mean, they never really got a chance, but um, I was looking forward to it because that is one of the things that I like to do is to identify really bad favorites and just bet against them. But the problem a lot of times is that you might identify a bad favorite in a race. And I'm not talking like the three to one favorite. I'm talking like an odds on horse. And you don't know how to bet it because you don't really like anybody else. You just don't like the favorite. So it's difficult to sometimes to, to come up with a, a wager when you're not um, and I would have loved to <laughs> offer day five on three to five shots that I didn't like <laughs> but um, you know we never got that chance unfortunately but and, and honestly I don't know how much money I would have made doing that but 
it would have been fun to me because <laughs> <And>, <laughs> I've seen it before. I, I've I've seen it where um, I, I used to do this when I would uh, and, and you know betting harness races. I would see uh, some really really strong horse that that maybe is tailing off a little bit or um, you know, maybe it had been a little rough the race before thinking, you know, this horse might make a break and it's one nine. And, and, uh, I just don't know who, who to use, but if he does break or he, she does break, how do I play the race? Because I want to be able to take advantage of that. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I guess there's nothing more frustrating in the world when you don't like a one to five shot and they lose and you still don't cash. <laughs> like, that is, <laughs> that'll make you crazy. well those those are scenarios I, I i call like an opportunity to fall into something nice or fall into a long shot because if you have the opinion just having the opinion that you don't like the favorite or the favorite just is you know they're they're just crushing this horse and i i just don't think he's going to show up that's a good thing even if you don't know because you can get you can get crazy with it because there's so many different ways to bet races that you could you could come up with something, even if it's just a, a, a straight up double, you know, daily doubles. I mean, I, I use I play daily doubles a lot. Um, but, it, you know, those are the type of things that I like to see, like even, you know especially in a, in a, in a sequence, like a pick four, pick five, pick six sequence, you got a, a race where favorite looks bad. There's a lot of horses and it could go chaos. Just, I call those chaos races. I mean, those are the ones that you live for. Even if you don't really have a solid opinion on somebody else, but you can make some things happen. Oh, that my dad, Back in the days when three to five shots weren't a common occurrence. Man, this <laughs> um, could have been too long ago. I'm telling you, if you go back and look at charts from like the 90s, just pick a random day at Belmont Park. Yeah, it's rare that you see anybody under you two to one. do not see that. <laughs> you just don't see it very often at all. Not like now where it, it's it's a commonplace. But he used to have this theory, and, and, and he, he said sometimes he'd be – Watching the races and and he didn't have the PPs and um, this was before you could get them electronically. He would just use an odds-on horse with the longest shots. And I said, "Well, what's your theory on that?" He said, "Well, my theory is that the horse is a superior horse. He's he's odds-on. He's big favorite, and the horse who's second and third, they're going to try to beat him. And a lot of times." And trying to beat them, right? They will. They beat themselves, right? And then he goes, "I've seen it happen so many times. The the longest shot or the second longest shot on the board will clunk up and run second, and the exacto will pay good because everybody tried to bury the 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 you know the favorite over the first choice over the second choice." Yeah, that's one and thing that's always boggled my mind. I got to watching that very, and I swear <laughs> to God, it, it worked. Like, it works. It definitely it works. Like, I mean, if if you're at home and you're just like board or whatever you could play deuces that way you know what i mean just two dollars just dollar exactas with the favorite and longer shots and see what you do yeah i don't think um 
I mean, just as a, as a kind I, of. Like, I don't think you can do it as much anymore because there's. Some... No, you're not getting the field sizes that would command those bigger prices. No, and... you're just getting you're right, and we see so many odds on horses now. So. Right, and it'd be like three to five over five to one, six to one, and it's like, all right, cool, whatever. Yes, but, sir. But you know what's funny that you talk about that is still boggles my mind to this day is how the two choices in the betting are always the smallest exacta. Yeah. Makes no sense. Not to me anyway, but. Well, I mean, you think about an occasion where the first two favorites are both speed horses. They're both right. horses that want to be on. But they're still the smallest exacta. Most so, of them. I mean, you know, you could certainly make the case that the, the second choice is maybe being the inferior speed horse. Maybe the, maybe the second choice is actually faster, but his record isn't as, as good, so they've made the other horse the favorite. And Well, I mean, you know, let, let's just rewind maybe 10 years ago. How many, how many favorite, second favorite exactas did you see? Yeah. Probably not many. Only at Yonkers. <laughs> now you see it's like commonplace like you said it's just you know you get one to two shots constantly like it's it's unbelievable you know i watch a lot of races during the week it's unbelievable how many horses i see go off at like three to five or lower Yeah, that's true. You see some horses who are really not very good <laughs> to go off right. the to they're, they're bet down like their uh, secretariat's cousin twice removed. Yeah, it's 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 a phenomenon. It's it's a uh, it's kind of a shitty phenomenon. <laughs> be great, I guess it would be great if you, if you had a you know the wherewithal to, to come up with you know, with beating them, but, but they win too often. That's the other thing is, man, the odds on horses win. What are we, what are we seeing sometimes the, the winning favorites, which used to be like 30, 32, 33% nationally has edged up to almost 40%. Right. I was going to say is almost 50% increase. You see 50% winning favorites. What are we doing here? What are we doing? <laughs> like, I mean, look at Pegasus day. That was the worst. Yeah. No, it's true. It's the worst. And Florida Derby Day was almost that. Almost. Yeah. Meanwhile, now uh, we're in a situation where they add a stake race. It gets nine. <laughs> I don't think it's going to get. I, I don't think nine horses will run in that race. There's two or three pretty decent horses here. The horse that Shreed DeVos is, is, is actually a good horse coming off of a layoff, second off of a layoff. The Pletcher, I, I would guess one, maybe one of the Pletchers won't run. Not going to run, yeah. I think some of them other ones, um, there's there's a couple of horses in there that really don't belong. So that race might wind up being like a six-horse field. But um, that'll be interesting opening day to see how that the mile shoot, um, how it plays and I mean, just the way it, it looks, it just seems like the outside horses are going to be at a at a big disadvantage. So, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, got to run them. 
Let's see what happens. So anyways, uh, that's it. Yeah, let's, let's do it. It's getting excited. And then it's closer to my arrival. I haven't been there since 2009, man. Red carpet will be rolled out for you. Oh boy! <laughs> well, the mayor already already called me. He was like, "Yeah, this is what we're gonna do." <laughs> I was like, "All right, man, whatever you say, boss." Yeah, mayor's ahead of the. He's he's in charge of uh, social activity director. <laughs> yeah, he has all the social activities lined out. Hopefully, we have good weather tonight. That's the one thing about Saratoga that's that Del Mar has a big advantage. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you get those those summers that it just rains a lot, and that is just not so fun. But but it's part of the deal, and uh, you know can't change it. Rain or shine, my man. Rain or shine. So, all right. I don't really have much else. No, we're gonna we're gonna save it. Yeah. Especially you know this weekend. You know we'll, we'll have lots to talk about on Monday, next Monday. We should. We should. Maybe you should do like old school Stephen Christ blog. Like a daily blog? Yeah. I mean, I know it's a lot, but or at least at least on the weekend. <laughs> not not during the week, you know, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah. We could do that. That's actually a pretty good idea. I figured I was that would just preview the, the greatest stakes. But you're good at that. I mean you you do it on Facebook, so you know, and and you you're quite funny. If I do the timeline, yeah. Well, you don't have to do a timeline, but you can kind of, you know, <laughs> just go oh, race. race. I, I usually I usually save the timelines for the big races. <laughs> no, you gotta do the timeline when I'm in town. Oh yeah, we'll definitely do <laughs> might have to be censored. <laughs> That's all right. You know, we don't want to incriminate ourselves. They just gotta sign up for the newsletter. I say that like we're not all old and like be dragging at eight o'clock. <laughs> My feet hurt. I'm tired. <laughs> the plantar fasciitis is no joke, bro. The mayor will be like, let's just go to the house and, 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 and lay uh, by the pool. <laughs> right. Get some fireball. Yeah. <laughs> I got beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, that's about it, man. That's all. That's all she wrote. Craig, right. no, no encore tonight, my friend. Yeah, Craig is 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 on the Chet and Giddy plan right now, so he's in heaven. Chet Holmgren, NBA Rookie of the Year this year. I can, it's I, like Bizarro Durant. I think it's gonna. You know, he reminds me of. And this this sounds crazy, but 
he's like Ralph Sampson. He has similar skills, except he's a better shooter. A lot better shooter. (laughs) Range. He's he's not quite as strong as Ralph Sampson was, but but he's got a similar kind of body to him. He's like, like you said, a little thinner, but he's also younger. Remember, Ralph Sampson was a three-time college player of the year. He played four years. He was like 30 when he came to the league. He was like four years away from Social Security. (laughs) But, um... But that's what he reminds me of, like a, a, a three-point shooting, ball-handling Ralph Sampson. That's, uh, I, could, I could dig that. I dig that. I mean, think about it. He's going to get plenty of time. He's going to get the minutes. He's going to be the focus of the offense, or, or at least one of the focuses of the offense. He's got um, Giddy, who's uh, you know, a guy who's going to get him the ball in the right position. And... I think the teams are going to have a hard time figuring out how to how to guard him. Yeah, he's a matchup problem. Straight well, everyone, up, everyone in the NCAA is oh, they're going to beat him up. If you watch an NBA game lately, there's no beating up. Not the not to mention he's not going to be. Well, it was like up. I don't know if you remember back not too long ago. I'd say within the last ten years, when Orlando had Hito Turkoglu. And Richard Lewis, it was just a it was a matchup problem. Nobody could guard either one of those guys, and that helped them get to the finals the year they did. Um, but I I, I foresee some some of that over in uh, OKC with those two guys. Yeah, it's gonna be uh going to be interesting it's going to be interesting the more I think about it the more I think there's not going to be a Kevin Durant trade and there's not going to be a Kyrie Irving trade and they're just going to roll it out no because like who wants to give up everybody for either one of those guys but for Brooklyn it makes more sense it does just tell them shut up (laughs) play shut up and play (laughs) If we trade you, we're going to trade you to a team that might be worse. If 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 Simmons plays, and there's no reason to think he won't play. I mean, if you just could circle that one game and eliminate it, and you say you got Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, and 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 Kyrie Irving, three guys who do completely different things, and then they've signed some, you know, they made some good signings. They traded for Royce O'Neal. They seem like they gave up an asset they, they probably didn't need to do that. But why would you set it, why would you trade a first round pick for Royce O'Neal? I don't get it. If you weren't trying to win now. Because he's a win now kind of guy. He's a three and D player that's valuable on a playoff team, but he's yeah, you, you don't need it on a rebuilding team. And it just seems to me that a lot of their other moves signal that they're not rebuilding, that they're going to try to win. Um and I don't know how you make a Kevin Durant trade and get anything close to fair value at this point because we can all go through the assets and, and the, the salary cap uh, machinations and, and the <laughs> draft picks and stuff, and, and like there's just not a trade to be really made unless Brooklyn is willing to take 50 cents on the dollar back because you know these other teams aren't going to trade all their good players to get him because then what's the point? Right. It's What's just... the point of bringing him to a team that, that 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 traded all its good players to get him? Then 
I don't know. Um, and and I, I've, I'm just completely speculating, but um, I mean, Brooklyn, if, if those guys play, they're, they're going to be really good. They should be. <laughs> so, and of course, I mean, you know, to get, you got three guys who also haven't, haven't had an exactly a, uh, head cases. Their availability hasn't been, uh, hasn't been that strong. <laughs> Well, they're always hurt, but but I mean, for Durant's case, I, I just see him. I, I just don't see how they could make that trade to Miami and not include Adebayo. I mean, what? Why would Brooklyn want Jimmy Butler? And not that there's anything wrong with Jimmy Butler, but um, you know, he's he's not. He's not a younger player, and Miami's draft picks are. Miami yeah. never had trouble trading draft picks, but but none of them ever bit them in the ass because they're always good, or at least pretty. Even when they're not good, they're not bad. Right, and they're getting low you're, picks. You're not going to get lottery, you know, high lottery picks from them. So it's it's like, it just I just I'm I'm really skeptical that, that anything's going to get done. Yeah, I'm with you. So I mean, I, honestly, I'd rather see him stay. I'd, li- I'd like to see him stay because it has that potential to like be really great, or has that potential to like complete disaster. Right? <laughs> Have them guys like getting everybody fighting. Steve Nash <laughs> on the bench. <laughs> Steve Nash like goes into complete denial and just cuts his hair, and shaves his head. <laughs> <laughs> ben Simmons brings his pocketbook onto the bench. Kyrie just starts smoking weed. <laughs> Talking about the flat earth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's funny. The NBA offseason is sometimes better than the NBA regular season. Yeah, the offseason is great. And you know what the funny thing about Saratoga is? That always – it's weird because it's kind of like one of those Pavlov's uh, um, reactions is that that's when the NFL camps start running. The Giants always that's true. up in Albany, so during track season was when you know the NFL was was back by the end of the the end of the meet. So yeah, they usually play uh, preseason games in August, right? Yeah, yeah. Man, I couldn't give tickets. I, I used to have season tickets. And one of the biggest scams they have, racing <laughs> isn't the only scam with the tickets and stuff, but one of the biggest scams that NFL teams have is you are required, if you have season tickets, you're required to buy the two home game preseason tickets, and they're the same price <laughs> as regular season tickets. Garbage. And nobody wants them. You can't give them away. I, I, when I had season tickets... There was a couple times where I couldn't go or didn't want to go. I couldn't find anyone. I couldn't give them to anybody. Nobody, nobody take them. But um, yeah, they they get you, man. <laughs> they, they do get you. And uh, I mean, you used to get eight, eight home games and, and and two preseason home games. So that's a big chunk of money and the parking pass. That's uh, the other thing. Not only did you get your ticket, if you bought the season parking pass, then then you had to pay full boat for those those games too. 
rough. Yeah. The 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 the, the better the starters might play the first series. <laughs> might. <laughs> you know, then they got all those guys out there you never heard of. And no one's they, paying attention. It's a, just, you know the, the stadium's a third full, and you know there's no nobody cares. <clears throat> but that's uh, that's a racket, man, right there. <laughs> that is a racket. But now football starts pretty soon too. And the right. Orioles are like good in baseball. Like, what the hell happened? I don't know. My brother's like a sick Orioles fan. <laughs> So strange. He's not quite. I don't know. Maybe he's more sick than Craig is. At least Craig lived in Maryland. I don't <laughs> know. I bald. My brother likes Baltimore Orioles. Here's my <laughs> brother's team. My brother likes the Orioles, the L.A. Lakers, and the Oakland Raiders. Hmm. I don't know how he came up with that trio. Yeah, that's that's tough to get to. Unless I mean, little kids are front runners. So uh, you know, I was thinking the Raiders and the Lakers were good, and and I guess even even the Orioles were pretty good. Yeah, when Cal Ripken was on. No, it was before Cal Ripken. Even before that, Jim Palmer. Oh, okay. Jim Palmer yeah. days. Oh man, Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray, yeah. Al Bumbry. But uh, Mike Boddicker. Oh yeah. John, let it be Lowenstein. That, uh, yeah, yeah. Kids, little kids are front runners. Totally. That's why we'll be seeing Sabria, Golden State Warriors. Is the Warriors fan. So there you go. I didn't know a single Golden State Warrior fan my whole life until about ten years ago. Well, Sabria is one of them. Now. It's like my brother's kid likes the Falcons. What? My my nephew likes the Falcons. I said, why do you like the Falcons? Of all the, the teams. The only person I know that likes the Falcons other than you is Swift. <laughs> I don't know why the hell he likes the Falcons. How do you, how do you guys come up with that team? Right. They've never been good. <laughs> they've been, <laughs> they had like two years where they were good. When Dion right. was there. When Dion was Prime there and uh, Jamal Anderson. Yeah. After that, it was curtains, man. I'm telling you, though, you'll be warned. The U is back. That's right. Every every couple days, another four star, five star. They got the number one offensive tackle. We need the '90s. You early '90s. They're gonna. They're they're back. They're gonna be back to being good. It's gonna. They they hired the right guy. They made the commitment to probably paying the players like triple time and. Well, getting, that was the that was the only issue. They're getting all kinds of guys, man. They are going to be good. So, so anyways, I'm sure people are now really caused insomnia. I was talking about random sports items. That's the wrap up. That's our. That's that the, is the wrap up. That's the segment. We'll call it the wrap up. We just need a sponsor now. Sponsored by maybe Craig could sponsor us. Just time for you. Time form US wrap up, sports wrap up. The time form US professional pickleball player Craig Kowski. Because <laughs> yeah. we said good things about your boy. I even picked him for rookie of the year, man. That's my rookie of the year. 
It is funny though. Like every summer league game I watch, there's dibs. He's there every game. He must be mad looking at young players play. He gets hostile. He has to. It's like he's just trying to get it out of his system. Right. He's like, oh, I just got to force myself to sit here. He's he's sitting here thinking, why the hell should I play these guys? I got Taj Gibson. (laughs) I got Derrick Rose who's 108 years old. (laughs) Derrick Rose. (laughs) Derrick Rose's knee is embalmed. (laughs) It's got to be metal, right? Stored in a in a, in a mausoleum. <laughs> uh, well, like you said, Saratoga starts. Delmar's soon. We got Beamy on the Mondays and Tuesdays. What's your schedule? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, I think it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, Beamy, I can't. Wednesdays, I got to take the day. I can't mess with you on Wednesday, but Monday and Tuesdays. You check all in. You checking out the. Colonial Downs. Hey, my dad said, he goes, any place has $7,000 exactus, I'm in. <laughs> I'm with him. I'm dad. with him. That's right. He even, even kind of shunned the finger likes today to go to Colonial. <gasps> wow, that's so, big. I'm sure tonight at 2 o'clock in the morning, he'll be up watching random races for some horse that's in that Colonial that raced at uh, Laurel last November. He'll have the replay, so... So we'll uh, we'll talk to everyone next week, and uh, maybe we'll do something. Maybe we can do some kind of daily blog of some sort. Yeah, we get something going. Why not? All right. Um. All right, Barry. We'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Anyway, all right. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. Hey guys, I wanted to talk to you quickly about some of the changes coming to the Going in Circles Digest, which is our sort of weekly newsletter that we've put out that covers a, a wide variety of topics. Uh, just lately, we've added some guest columnists. Sid Fernando wrote a great piece for us a couple weeks back, and Julian Brown has really helped us out with some uh, excellent handicapping uh, articles, and we're going to expand on the handicapping, especially uh, you know with Julian's writing, who, who used to Julian used to write for American Turf Monthly, um, but it's something that uh, we we think people seem to have be interested in, and certainly any timely topic is, is something that's going to be covered, and uh, we're going to do a lot of uh, our weekly previews, especially for the big days and, and the Triple Crown races. Uh, we also want to put it out there that anyone that has something to say you can be a guest writer just contact me there's a a variety of ways going in circles podcast at gmail.com is probably the easiest and we'll uh, we'll put you out there and we're not exactly uh at the distribution point of the new york times or anything but we do get a lot of click-ons and if you have something to say well we'll help you say it All right, guys, if you have any suggestions, anything you want to hear about, anything you want to read about, hit me up, goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com, and uh, check it out, goingincirclesdigest.substack.com. Free subscription. Thanks, guys. 
Pleasant Acre Farms is a full-service breeding operation located in Morriston, Florida, just outside of Ocala. If you want to get involved in the breeding business in the Sunshine State, or you're already involved, Pleasant Acre Farms is really the only place you need to know. Joe and Helen Barbazon, who are just great people, do a fantastic job taking care of your mare. Uh, they have a solid roster of 13 stallions with a really diverse group of pedigrees. Your mare will find a match at Pleasant Acre Farms. Currently, the star of Pleasant Acre Farms stallion roster is Neolithic, who is by far a runaway winner of the Freshman Stallion of the Year here in the state of Florida. His son, Make It Big, just made it 3 for 3, winning the $400,000 Springboard Mile at Remington Park, earning 10 points towards the Kentucky Derby in the process. Pleasant Acre Farms is your one-stop shop for breeding in the state of Florida. Check them out at www.pleasantacrestallions.com or on Twitter at P-A-S Stallions. You can also give them a call at 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Stallions, check them out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Going in Circles Big Monday Show. My name is Charles Simon. I am the host of the Going in Circles podcast network. Barry Spears, my co-host on the Big Monday Show, will be with us after the first break. Tonight, we will talk about uh, last weekend's Belmont Derby and Belmont Oaks, uh, touch a little bit on the the races in Iowa and Indiana. Uh, we'll talk a little betting strategy. With the meet, the big meets, Saratoga starts Thursday, Del Mar starts uh, soon. Uh, Colonial kicked off today with a interesting card. Uh, had a record handle, three million over $3 million. Beamy Land uh, had a uh, $7,000 exacta for $2, which piqued my dad's interest. And, and now he's, uh, he's going to start paying attention, he said, to Colonial. So we'll be back here in uh, just a few minutes, and we'll get into it. See you guys on the other side. 